to open your Bibles, take your Bibles or Bibles out of the chair racks, and turn to John chapter 7, the last verse, verse 53. Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. I'm sorry, yes, please rise for the reading of the word. As some of you remember that. <clears throat> the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word of the Lord. For our New Year's celebration, we got to celebrate it by flashlight. I had just pulled pizza out of the oven and all the power in our house went out. It was about 8 o'clock because we were celebrating a little bit earlier so the girls could get to bed on time. But as soon as the lights went out, what's the first thing you do? You scramble for these guys. Where are they at in the house? Let's go find them. Pulled out headlamps so we could, you know, see the pizza that we were eating. We need these when it's dark so we don't stumble around and fall over things that might be in our way. We we needed it to enjoy our dinner in the dark. Honestly, we much prefer to be in the light rather than in the dark, don't we? It's scary in the dark. We don't know what's in front of us. But sometimes light can make us uncomfortable. Like if I took this flashlight and like flashed it in your eyes, like, oh, that hurts. I don't, I don't like that. When all the TV stations had to transition into going to high definition, you know, when you all had to buy new TVs or get adapters and stuff for your TVs many years ago, they had to put new lights in all the studios because the cameras were different and they had to shine more light on the news anchors and people who were in front of the cameras. 
And the news anchors went to watch themselves on this brand new high definition and they suddenly realized, ooh, there's a lot of more imperfections in my face. That high definition's bringing out a lot of stuff I don't like. So when they went back, they said, can we get some more makeup to cover up that stuff that suddenly I can see that the lights and the high definition cameras are revealing? Sometimes we need the light and we like stepping into it, but sometimes it can be a little too much. Light has already been a prominent theme throughout the Gospel of John. You just have to go back to chapter 1. In verses 4 through 5, John will write, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think in our scripture today, we'll get a good picture of what it looks like when light and darkness interact. When Jesus, who is the light of the world, interacts with the darkness that is present in the world. And what are some responses when that happens? What I would want you to go home with is basically this main point. That Jesus, the light of the world, reveals our true natures. We can choose to shrink back from the light, or we can walk in his truth. Now before we dig in too much, I have to tell you something, and this is going to be a Bible nerd alert. I went axe throwing last night, and I learned very swiftly that axe throwing is not my thing. (laughs) However, this is my thing. If you had opened your Bibles and you were reading along, you may have seen a little note in your Bible heading off this passage, these verses that we read today, and it is very simply this. It's even in the uh, insert in your bulletin. The earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11. Pastor Greg, what does that mean? It means that in the oldest versions of the Gospel of John that we have, this story doesn't appear. It's not included in those earliest manuscripts. And even if we go read some of the early church fathers who referenced Scripture and talked about and shared the story of Jesus in the Gospels, they don't even reference this story. The story really doesn't appear until about the 3rd century when it gets included in the Gospel of John. And even some manuscripts we have, it's elsewhere in John. Some Gospels even have it in Luke. It kind of moves around a little bit. But this is God's word, right? Everything we have in here is to be trusted, right? And we see these notes, and we're like, wait a second, this wasn't in there originally? Maybe it moved? If the inclusion of the story is debated, how can I trust what's in here? Now, I'm not here to torpedo your faith. I'm here to encourage it, to enlighten you, to give you some hope for today. And so what I'm going to tell you here briefly is why I think we can accept this story, why I'm going to preach from it today, why I am going to believe that it is God's word for us today. If you go to the end of the Gospel of John, he actually gives us some help 
along these lines. Chapter 21, verse 25, he writes, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Even John acknowledges that his gospel is just a narrowing down of everything that Jesus did. There was so much more John knew, but he couldn't write it all down. So very well, this story could have been one of those things that John originally didn't include. It's quite possible that this narrative actually occurred. The church itself has accepted this story for a long time. Like I said, the story pops into the Gospels around the 3rd century BC or AD, and it's been in our Bibles basically since then. The church hasn't had much of a problem with including this story. And finally, as you read through this story, when you read it, there's nothing in here that contradicts what Jesus does or says elsewhere. When I was discussing going through this with Pastor Mike this week, he said, this story smells like Jesus. So I'm going to talk about this story today. I accept it as true, as a true story of Jesus. And I think we can learn from it and to see how it connects specifically with the rest of John's gospel. Pastor and author R.C. Sproul says of this passage, whether it belongs here in John's gospel or at the end of the 21st chapter of Luke or somewhere else in John's gospel, I leave to the ages. But I am treating it as nothing less than the very word of God. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this anymore. If you have any other questions, want to discuss Bible nerd stuff with me later, you are welcome to do that. Or Pastor Mike, give us a call. Come on by. Now, back to the story. If you're watching a movie, sudden wipe up of the screen, we're going back to the story. The story opens that Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, and then at dawn, it says he goes to the temple to teach. People are gathered around him, and suddenly the scene breaks as teachers of the law and Pharisees come rushing in with this woman who is caught in adultery. They make her stand before the crowd, and they say, teacher, the law says we can stone this woman. Should we? If you're reading things on the internet, there is one consistent law and rule, and that is never read the comments. Especially on Facebook, never read the comments. It's never a good space. Rarely will you find good and healthy conversation happening there. Often you will find anger, people just trying to prove their point. Like Admiral Akbar warned us in Star Wars, it's a trap. I was recently party to reading a discussion that was happening on one of our local community Facebook groups about something that was happening on Highway 49, and a debate was raging whether where it happened was Highway 49 or Highway 20. They were arguing whether it was 49 or 20, and it was that section where it's both for a little bit, but they couldn't drop it. And that's what these teachers of the law and Pharisees are doing. They're bringing this accusation in front of Jesus as a trap. They're not really worried about what's happening or what's going on. They want to trap Jesus. Now, when it comes to the law, it appears there's some validity to their claim of what this woman did and what needs to happen, they think. 
She was caught in the act. Nobody in this narrative disputes that. Jesus doesn't even dispute it. So we can assume that, yes, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, I believe. So the laws in question that would apply, there's a few. If you go back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 10, it says, if a man commits adultery with a married woman, committing adultery with the neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must, must be executed. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, we get quite a litany of, ver- of laws about what to do in these kind of situations and the various ways that it could happen. Uh, it's verse 21 talks about a woman who has sex with a man before marriage. It says, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of the town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. Verses 23 through 24 give another idea. It says, if a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. Lawfully, it would seem the accusers are in the right. Don't we love being in this position? I'm right, and I can prove it. I have laws, I have something on my side, and I am going to prove it to you so much that you can't disagree with me and you will walk away in shame. Oh, that feels so good. And it feels so good that we can't even see past our own issues inside sometimes when we feel like we're so right. What are the issues in this story? What's wrong with this picture? Anybody? How did they catch her in the act? Somebody looking? Where is the man? All of the laws I have just read tell us exactly what you should do, both man and woman. The man's not here. The attitude. Somebody first service said there is no compassion for this woman. Their attitude has nothing to do with the act or the woman or worrying about any of that. They're wanting to trap Jesus. Anything else? Huh? Where's grace? It's coming. Don't worry. Yes. What are those accusing her guilty of? That's coming too. I think the crazy public nature of this accusation. Jesus is teaching in the temple courts, which was already probably a very busy place. But we've already, but we've learned recently that this is a time of the festival, the festival of booze. Jerusalem is packed. People are in the temple for worship. And this lady is drugged into the temple courts by these teachers of the law and Pharisees and thrown in front of everybody who's there. How do you think she feels? There's an imbalance because of the public nature of the accusation. She can't talk because the crowd is against her. Nobody there is there even to stand up for the woman. She has no voice. Nobody can defend her. 
There is an attempt to bring something to light here. There is an attempt to bring forward a wrong, to bring judgment on an act that is deemed evil in the law. Yes, this is true. But we see cracks in this case. The justice and judgment is sought here with wrong motives. It's to trap Jesus. It has nothing to do with the actual act of adultery of this woman. The law is being applied erratically and unevenly. The man is not here. There's no other witnesses. Nobody's standing to account for the woman. I think it's interesting that John notes, or whoever wrote this passage notes, that the story happens at dawn, first light of the day, when the darkness is being chased away and the light starts to reveal what was once hidden. So what is Jesus, the light of the world, going to reveal here? What are we going to see? The story continues that Jesus bent down after this woman is brought before him and he starts to write in the ground with his finger. Such a weird thing to note. Can you imagine this scene? Like I said, the temple courts are full. People are listening to him. It's probably noisy. There's some questions going on. Suddenly this crowd comes in making more noise, more of a ruckus, and they throw this woman in front of Jesus, and they start throwing their questions at him. Jesus doesn't talk initially. He just bends down and starts to write in the dirt. I kind of imagine it like one of those old teacher or parent tricks when kids are being noisy and you want to get their attention where you just suddenly go quiet. And the temperature in the room changes and everybody's like, ooh, I need to, it's quiet. I need to, I need to pay attention. I need to see what's happening here. I think this may be one reason why Jesus kind of changes the energy in the space. Just stop everything, slow it down a little bit. Why is Jesus even writing in the, in the ground? It, it could have just said he sat down or he just went quiet, but it's noted that he wrote in the ground. It's all conjecture. We don't know why because we don't have any insight into Jesus' mind and it isn't explained in the gospel. But some commentators suggest that as God carved the law into the stone of the Ten Commandments when he gave them to Moses, Jesus is emulating that work of the Father. paralleling himself with God, the lawgiver, who is greater than Moses, which is what the accusers appeal to. They say the law of Moses. An early church father by the name of Bede said he's writing with his finger on the ground, perhaps showed that it was he who had written the law on stone. So as Jesus is writing on the ground, giving them an illustration, if you will, that it seems like they're missing, They keep pushing and asking Jesus, give us an answer. What should we do? And then Jesus stands up to give his response. And I'm sure they're expecting, okay, Jesus is going to let her have it. Here we go. But Jesus says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he goes back to riding in the dirt. Jesus stops them in their tracks. The light of the world has shined on them and revealed their true motives. And he's asking them to examine their life, their sin, and the deception that is in their own hearts. 
Gregory the Great, one of the early popes in Rome, writes, For he who judges not himself first cannot know how to judge correctly in the case of another. When confronted with this question, when Jesus throws it back on them, what do they do? They start to leave, dropping their stones from the youngest to the oldest. They walk away. And it feels like such a great moment, right? They try to trap Jesus. And Jesus springs the trap on them, if you will. Throwing it back on them. Oh, it feels so good when you get somebody like that, right? Mmm, gotcha. But I think there's honestly great sadness here. In this moment when Jesus has asked them to examine themselves, they choose to walk away rather than to apologize to the woman. Rather than to stay there and engage with Jesus. Rather than to sit, yes, confronted by by their sin, by the light of the world, they shrink back into the darkness. Chapter 3 of John, verse 19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The crowd thinks they're exposing something in this woman. They think they're trapping Jesus, but instead when the light is shined on them, they retreat back into the darkness because their deeds have been exposed. Like I said, for the main point, we have choices. Jesus, the light of the world, reveals our true natures, and we can choose to shrink back from the light like these men do. But what's the alternative when we choose to walk in his truth? I think the woman shows us that. After all of the accusers leave, Jesus straightened up, it says, the same posture he takes when he's about, when he throws it back on the accusers. So I can imagine the woman thinking, oh, I'm going to get it now. This is, my, this is my chance. Judgment is coming. Speaking of judgment, there are few things more nerve-wracking than seeing these in your rear-view mirror, right? I'm a pastor. I have been pulled over by the police. That may surprise some of you. I had the distinct honor of being pulled over twice in one day. We were on a road trip. Got pulled over once when our little carrier that was on the top of our car was a little loose and bouncing a bit. And the officer said, hey, you may want to tighten that down. There's a, you know, there's an auto part shop over here. They probably got some straps. Go fix it. Have a good day. Oh, thank you, sir. Got that fixed, started driving. We were about to the house in Salt Lake City, Utah. We were staying with some friends. I was on a freeway. Those lights show up again. Mm, Pull off, get over. Officer pulls up and informs me that I failed to merge for some workers who were on the side of the road. And in Utah, that is a state law that you have to get over if you can. Sorry, sir. He's like, well, where are you staying? Obviously, I'm from California, not from Utah. License plates. Oh, I'm staying with some friends just over here. We're, we're about there. All right, drive safe. Have a good day. Oh. Two in one day. I escaped. 
That felt so good. I will never forget that. Imagine the woman. The accusers are gone. She's left there with Jesus who stands up and he is about to speak. And I imagine she's thinking the same thing. Here it comes. He's going to give it to me. But Jesus instead engages her. He doesn't pronounce judgment. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And for the first time, we hear the woman speak because Jesus talks directly to her. She says, no one, sir. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you then. Go now and leave your life of sin. She had every reason to be condemned for this judgment to come on her, it seems like. She was caught in the act. Like I said, nobody has disputed that. We, too, have every reason to be condemned. We may have sinned like this woman, or we may act like the mob trying to throw people in front of Jesus for our own benefit, trying to throw people under the bus. But rather than judgment, Jesus does something else. He doesn't condemn her. Which John has already told us in his gospel that this is what Jesus has come to do. John 3, 17, after John 3, 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus, the light of the world, the Word who was with God in the beginning, the one who carved in stone God's Ten Commandments, the only one who can judge rightly, perfectly, and justly, chooses here to not judge, to not condemn. John has also said in chapter 1, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is what God has been doing since the very beginning. Just go back to the front of your Bible in Genesis. Adam and Eve sin against God. They eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And does God kill them on the spot? No. He sends them out of the garden. They are punished. But he makes them close. He says, I will still be with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. It doesn't define them by what they've done, but that they are still, still children of God. Again and again through the whole of Scripture, people screw up, people sin. Yet God continues to offer mercy and grace if they will step into God's light and experience His mercy. The light of God will shine in us and reveal who we truly are. But if we stand there and confess and accept what God is offering, we will receive His grace and we can walk in a new way following the light. Like we sang, we are not known by our sin, but we can be known as children of God. So who are you in this story today? Are you part of the judgmental mob who wants to be right, to prove a point? Yet when the light shines on you, you shrink back, ah, I don't, I don't want any of that. No thanks. 
I'm just going to stay back here. Or are you like the accused sinner, the woman, who when confronted with the light of her own sin by the truth in Jesus is open and stays to receive the mercy that Jesus offers? Paul writes in Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. When we stay in the light, when we stay with Jesus, we are set free from the law of sin and death. So hopefully today you've seen this, our main point, that Jesus, the light of the world, reveals our true natures. We can choose to shrink back from the light, or I pray that you would make this choice to step into the light and to walk in his truth. Amen. Sing that again. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free. the dark you have to be worried about like tripping over stuff things being in your way when you live in the dark you're always constantly worried about being found out when you step into the light even though that reveals the worst part of you you don't have to fear Because like we just sang, we can learn that we are children of God. As you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Christ's name, amen. Go in peace.